The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Smallville Gazette, a PapiChuloRadio.com original series, PapiChulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Superman and Lois. Please welcome my co-host, Professor X. Hello, Smallville. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 2, which was titled Heritage and aired March 2nd, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. While adjusting to their new lives in Smallville, Lois and Clark make an important decision concerning one of their sons. Meanwhile, tensions begin to rise between Lois and Morgan Edge. Lana Lang Cushing invites the Kent family over for a barbecue. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 1. Episode 2, Superman and Lois, was viewed by 1.25 million total, with a point three in the demo. It slipped 25% from, uh, from the uh, huge numbers from the premiere. Um, and uh, exciting news... Uh, the series was actually renewed for season two after that huge premiere. Um, so uh, that's exciting. All right, let's talk about this. And uh, let's first start off with um, Superman and uh, Jordan's adventure. So uh, the family decides to, uh, they, they decide to not send Jordan to school and uh, they're going to have Clark basically uh, basically um, observe and deal with and introduce Jordan to some of the family's heritage, appropriately enough. And so he takes them to the Fortress of Solitude, and uh, a uh, AI of Grandpa uh, ends up uh, filling Jordan in on the family history as well as, in essence, Clark's history, Superman's history, how he came to Earth, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the next day, they return, and they do a whole bunch of tests, and basically the AI tells Clark, uh, you know, it looks like it was just, you know, some random feat of maybe strength, a random feat of ocular um, lasery type of stuff, but uh, he is nowhere near as strong as you, and uh, there's no telling if he'll ever be able to really recreate uh, what, um, what, what happened at the farm. Uh, Jordan overheard, he goes emo teen, gets all crushed, and that kind of stuff. I think Clark does the best that he can to try to be like, we're going to run into the test, we'll go back in a couple months, you know, this is just the start of what's going on with you, but uh, Jordan seems to not have any time for any of that, but when Jonathan basically tells his brother, you know, we'll figure this out together, it kind of gives Jordan a spark in his eyes. So, Professor, what's your take on what's going on? I read an interesting theory online, and I don't know if you had the theory, because I'll be honest, I didn't have the theory. Uh, but uh, someone online was like, maybe the powers are connected to his brother. Like, maybe Jonathan might have powers as well, but maybe they don't exhibit unless they're together. Sort of Wonder Twins powers, like activate and that kind of thing. Uh, what did you think of the overall story with uh, Clark and Jordan going to the Fortress of Solitude? As well as, we saw a different Fortress of Solitude. Um, I'll keep you know referencing this every, every time it happens, because we are supposed to be in a shared universe until we're told differently. So uh, it's interesting that uh, Superman and Lois really is kind of trying to do its own thing 
versus uh, taking on some of the arrow versus um, visuals per se. Well, I kind of like that uh, the the fortress is a bit more you know low tech. You know, it feels a bit more grounded, but more realistic, which I realize is a strange thing to say. You know, when you're dealing with a series in which someone can you know absorb the power of the sun, fly around, and fire beams out of his eyes and and stuff like that. Um, I overall I liked uh, you know the uh, the whole Jordan subplot in this episode. It makes sense uh, for Clark and Lois to uh, to keep him out of school because he just did fire deadly eye beams from his eyes and uh, you know probably shouldn't be going to school uh you know until they're sure they've got that under control um i think if you are foolish enough to believe the hologram that oh no he doesn't have powers no he's totally fine just you know let's just end this subplot right now obviously that's not the case um it's possible they're they're tied to his brother i think that it's far more likely that jonathan is going to have powers of his own um, you know, which, uh, which would be interesting, you know, sort of, uh, tying them in together. But what I really liked about the whole subplot was the fact that, you know, Jonathan, who's had every reason, and I mentioned this last episode, Jonathan, who's had every reason to be the resentful teen, you know, the, the sullen teen, the one who had to give up his life in, in Metropolis to, you know, help out his brother, uh, you know, and, and dealt with that in this episode, he still, you know, steps up and says, Hey, we'll figure this out together. He's, you know, being, you know, a, a really great brother. And I like that. I like that. They're not lapsing into the really simple way of telling the story, which is that you've got, you know, the, the one brother who's got uh, powers and the other one who is the, the sullen resentful teen. Um, they're not doing that, which I think is great, you know, sort of showing a, uh, a fraternal relationship that is, you know, two people who, you know, two brothers who love each other and are willing to help each other out. And I think that's, that's great. And I'm really liking, uh, you know, Jonathan and Jordan's relationship. And, you know, they, they did set it up interestingly, um, you know, it was kind of a neat callback to have, you know, Jor-El sort of looking like, uh, you know, the Russell Crowe version from, uh, from the Zack Snyder movies. Um, I think it's more of a, a direct call back to that and indeed the, the technology of the ship that we saw last episode, you know, sort of was uh, was more of a call back to the Zack Snyder movies than uh, than other versions of, uh, of Superman that we've seen. But I liked it. Uh, you know, I, I liked the fortress. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's pretty obvious that, you know, the, the hologram is wrong uh, about Jordan's powers. But I, I really do like the uh, the the dynamic they're building up between uh, Jordan and Jonathan. I think that's that's going to be really great going forward. What did you think of Jor-El? Because uh, on the internet, some people didn't really care for him. Um, they said they found him stiff, but I'm like, he's an AI. I mean, what is he supposed to be? But uh, but if we're going to sort of compare a little bit, which we can because it's Superman and Supergirl. Over on Supergirl, especially the first uh, couple of seasons when it was Laura Benanti as uh, Allura, I think. is Allura, Allura's the mother not the sister. Well, when she was, uh, well, they were twins anyway, but uh, when she was the AI, uh, there was a bit more of a warmth to her, which maybe it's just maternal energy that w- that was felt when, um, when I would watch her as Supergirl's AI. Um, but yeah, what did you think of Jor-El? Just curious. Uh, you know, I thought he was he was fine. I think they're they're making the attempt to make this more of a, a robotic AI rather than you know you know the uh, the version we saw in Supergirl was a bit more emotional uh, you know um, but for me it felt more like they were trying to do that from the point of view of an acting point of view uh, than uh, than you know the, the sort of you know colder AI uh, and again the idea of this AI it might be that it's not meant to necessarily be Jor El's experience or memories or anything like that it's more the computer manifesting in this way so i wasn't bothered by that at all and uh i don't mind it uh particularly given you know the way that you know they're setting up this ai to be more of a a rational analytical sense rather than you know a representation of you know a lost mother so for me you know it, it it worked just fine okay all right. It's the first time we've seen him. Um, I didn't dislike him. Uh, I, I I thought he did what he was supposed to do as well. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Jonathan. So, because you mentioned him, and there was a moment in the episode where he did turn a little bit sullen teen. 
Um, and, and was uh, a kind of, it, it seemed as if we were going to head into the direction where he was going to be resentful of Jordan spending more time with his father, and, and even Jordan maybe even getting powers. But it turns out it's more so the fact that he's getting bullied at school um, because of what happened with uh, Jordan and Sarah, the the kiss, and and also I would probably say because he's the new kid in town i'm sure they probably knew that he was kind of like a star quarterback and that sort of thing rumors spread really fast in those types of town and really small towns and that sort of thing um what did you think of jonathan's side of the storyline as well as i don't know some people on the internet seem to think there's going to be the cw love triangle I noticed a couple of looks, but I didn't really notice romantical looks. I noticed more like, I got your back, I'm an ally looks from Sarah, but maybe I misread them, and maybe I misread them intentionally, just because I don't want there to be a love triangle with, you know, the two brothers and Sarah. What is it, what's your take on Jonathan in this episode, Professor? Well, I agree with you on that. I don't want there to be the the love triangle. Obviously, you've got Jonathan, who is the 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 good looking, confident, you know, alpha male, and you got Jordan, who is the uh, you know less confident, uh, you know, um, you know, somewhat subordinate to his uh, his brother. Um, yeah, I, I think if they go the Sarah, I, I get the feeling I, it, it would be really artificial to me based on what we saw the last episode, because I don't think Jonathan would go in for that. The only way that that could happen is if. Sarah developed overwhelming feelings towards Jonathan um, when, you know, Jordan had, you know, feelings towards her. But I don't think anything we've seen of Jonathan going for going from what we've seen of him, you know, in just two episodes would suggest that he would follow up on that. Uh, also, he does have, you know, a, a girlfriend back in Metropolis. So if you're going to have that sort of, you know, love triangle situation, I think it would have to be entirely that Jordan has feelings for Sarah who doesn't have them for him. Sarah has feelings for Jonathan, who doesn't have feelings for her. Um, so it wouldn't really be a triangle in that sense. But I really do hope that they don't go down that route because it's it's such a, a lazy bit of CW-verse storytelling that uh, it, it would feel really cliched. But, you know, I'm I'm really liking Jonathan. And, you know, he's sort of set up as a character, you know, in this type of series that we're not necessarily supposed to like. He is, you know, the uh, the, the confident, successful one. We're supposed to root for the underdog. Uh, but that said, you know, he's the guy who's dealing with, you know, he's the one who's given up as much as anyone else. You know, he's, you know, involved in a, a long term relationship. There was a little line that he mentioned when they were talking about, you know, his his girlfriend um, that, uh, you know, might be setting up that, you know, there there might be problems developing there. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, he's the one who gave up, you know, being, you know, the uh, the star, the freshman quarterback at, you know, this this great school. Uh, you know, and gave that up for his family. And, you know, so he really is, does seem to be, you know, uh, setting themselves up as, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the good son. And I really kind of hope they don't take that back because it, it's nice to have, you know, a, a good and noble character in these shows where, you know, it, it seems to be that everyone just wants everyone to be as, as miserable as possible. Yeah. I hope that they, I hope that they continue on with, the 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 lack of uh, sort of the CWness of of some of the storylines. Like I hope they don't force the CWness on some storylines, and in particular with uh, the kids, because uh, yeah, I, I don't want a love triangle. Um, you know, I do feel like uh, Jonathan is gonna have to break up with his girlfriend just because they're teens and it's. A long distance type of thing. We still don't have uh, sort of like an official answer as to how far Metropolis is from Smallville. I've always, in my mind, I've always imagined it like Metropolis is sort of New York, and that's very far from Kansas. But uh, and and um, they did establish in this uh, because I mean it's usually in Kansas. So but they they did establish that. So I wonder is Metropolis in Kansas or is it kind of a couple of states away, Professor? What's your what are your thoughts? Because they seem to go back really quick, but they also have uh, Superman, which can take them back and forth really quick. Yeah, it's difficult to say. You know, in Smallville, they sort of uh, you know established that uh, Metropolis was in the same state as Smallville, uh, you know, just somehow Kansas 
also had a city on the coast um, that uh, Superman could, you know, fly or run back to uh, really quickly. So I don't know uh, what they're dealing with. You know, I'd, I'd kind of have to see a map of um, oh, uh, the newly reconstituted, uh, you know, uh, Arrowverse uh, reality to figure out how things work. But, yeah, I mean, they're far enough apart that, you know, it, it for teenagers, it doesn't really matter whether it's, you know, a thousand miles or 200 miles or 100 miles that's far enough for it to be a long distance relationship and all the strains are going to, you know, accrue regardless of how far it actually is. Yeah. That makes sense. I guess we're going to have to wait and see. I am curious to see if they do end up at least uh, giving us some intel, especially since we're still early into the series to at least figure out exactly how far Metropolis is from uh, Smallville. I'm intrigued because it, it would make a difference as well as to why Morgan Edge is so fascinated by Smallville. Even though he seems to be fascinated by small towns uh, all across America, it seems. Okay, so uh, let's actually talk about Morgan Edge. We're, we're going to let's move into Lois's storyline because three big things happen in Lois's story in this episode, which um, it, which was really fantastic to see because we had uh, a tiny complaint that uh, there wasn't enough Lois in the pilot episode, and we certainly got a whole lot of Lois in this episode. So uh, the first two things that we got in uh, this episode with Lois was the fact that we were, we were officially introduced to brand new characters. The first character is Morgan Edge, who's uh, played by a different actor, uh, same, similar character, similar character traits, but a different actor than the Morgan Edge from Supergirl. And this time around, he's British, which makes him sound even more shady than he, than he did over on Supergirl. Um, we are, we're introduced to, to Morgan Edge. We're introduced to his, um, I would assume that's his assistant. Uh, she had a couple of, um, the camera sort of lingered on her a little bit, and uh, she had a teeny tiny line, which I think means that we will be hearing from a little bit more from her um, at some point as the series progresses. We were also introduced to Chrissy Beppo, who we were initially, we initially thought was um, just a writer for the Smallville Gazette, but it turns out she's she is the Smallville Gazette. And uh, the other thing that happened with Lois that was really important is something that at least live action wise, I don't think I've ever seen before with Lois Lane. Professor, maybe you can uh, provide some information if it's ever happened in the comics. But Lois Lane ends up quitting the Daily Planet. And she ends up quitting because she had written an opinion piece on Morgan Edge. And in essence, she was censored. She got uh, rewritten. And it was her first ever rewrite ever, she said. And it turned into this, uh, I guess, from a critical eye on Morgan Edge to a puff piece on Morgan Edge, and she ended up, uh, you know, just giving her letter of resignation to Edge, and uh, she's now going to be working with, working for the Smallville Gazette, which is quite fascinating. Because I did wonder how they were going to handle the Daily Planet, um, just because they are in Smallville. It's fascinating to have this Pulitzer Prize winning journalist go from the Daily Planet to the Smallville Gazette. But in the modern day of technology, I mean, you can report from anywhere. And, and, and you know, a, a, web, a website, a blog, even a paper like that could go viral, you know, just like that. So let's talk about this. Um, I, I know that there were sort of three big things that happened, and we were introduced to two brand new characters. Whatever you want to start talking about first, let's talk about it, Professor. Everything uh, Lois Lane. Yeah, I'm, I basically just mirror everything you said. The fact that you know Morgan Edge now has a British accent means he's obviously evil. Um, I think I agree with you. Uh, you know the way the uh, the camera you know slightly lingered on his assistant. She's obviously you know going to be the the person who's involved. Uh, in the Kent's life going forward, you know, Morgan Edge is not the sort of person to get his his hands dirty. I think that, you know, they're sort of setting him up as a, uh, 
uh, a Lex Luthor analog. You know, he'll have, you know, uh, someone doing his dirty work for him. And I think that's going to be the, uh, you know, the assistant we met in this episode. Uh, you know, the idea of the, uh, you know, the, the, the lone journalist keeping the, the Gazette going, uh, you know, makes complete sense. You know, in the, in the modern environment, you know, you no longer have the, uh, you know, especially for a small town like Smallville. Uh, you know, the idea of having, you know, a newspaper with, you know, uh, a bunch of people working there, that's just not feasible these days. So having someone who's, you know, keeping the lights on and sort of doing everything on their own, uh, you know, kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, we talked uh, last episode about, you know, the possibility that, you know, Lois could telecommute. She could, you know, work from Smallville and, and still work for the planet. You know, they wrote that off this episode, you know, from the point of view of that, you know, she doesn't have the the journalistic freedom that she needs in order to do her job. And I think that's, you know, a, a good point to bring up as well. It sort of establishes that, you know, uh, even though Lois, you know, you know, from the point of view of, you know, supporting the family and everything like that, the smart thing would be to keep your head down and. Uh, you know, just keep your job and and all of that. But, you know, Lois is someone who's committed to the truth. She's a really good reporter. And so for her, you know, she's willing to to make the sacrifice, uh, you know, in order to make that uh, that happen. And uh, and, you know, her her uh, her uh, motivation is to to telling the truth, uh, you know, regardless of what that entails. So, you know, I think that obviously puts her in conflict with Morgan Edge in this uh, in this case, in the same way that, you know, it's classically put her, you know, in in conflict with powerful people in the past in the comics and in, you know, the, the TV shows and, and movies where Lois Lane has appeared. So that all felt very real to her character. And, uh, you know, I like the, the idea of her, you know, you know, walking into the Smallville Gazette finding out that it's this, you know, failing newspaper, but you've got this really great reporter who's going to help out. And, uh, you know, I think that that gives her, you know, an outlet for her work. And as you said, the fact that even though it's the Smallville Gazette, she can be publishing to the web, she can be using social media, her stories can reach a much larger audience than they would if this was just an old fashioned, you know, uh, ink and paper newspaper in a small town in rural Kansas. So, yeah, I, I thought the whole uh, Lois thing, you know, felt very real to me. And I did like the fact that they did play up uh, Lois's role in this episode compared to the previous one. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that as well. Uh, the one thing that I am curious to pick your brain on, because you're much more comic book knowledgeable than I am, Professor. Has this ever happened in the comics? Has Lois Lane ever left the Daily Planet? There have been so many iterations of Lois and Clark over the years that it's impossible to say. I mean, at one point, you know, when they wanted to, you know, uh, upgrade it, uh, Clark became a TV journalist. And, you know, Clark has been a blogger and stuff like that as well. So they're constantly trying to take the idea of, uh, you know, uh, Lois and Clark as being working at a newspaper and, you know, updating them for the present time. So I, I, I'm, I'm not entirely aware whether, you know, there's ever been anything like this of her you know, going to work for the, the small town newspaper in that way. But yeah, certainly the, you know, there has been, you know, precedent uh, for them, you know, working in other forms of media as well. The difference is that, you know, if you look back to the the origin of Superman, the reason why Superman wanted to work at the Daily Planet wasn't because he wanted to be a journalist and be heard. It was that he wanted access to the the wires to find out where trouble was happening around the world so they could go there and solve that problem. So that was why Clark Kent became a journalist. Uh, you know, uh, so in that sense, it's very different from, you know, Lois Lane, who wanted to be a journalist in order to, you know, expose these things to the world. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a different world they're living in now where, you know, Superman can just, you know, turn his head to the side and listen and realize there's a problem happening somewhere in the world. Uh, he doesn't need access to the, the Daily Planet in the way that he would have, you know, back in the 30s, 40s and 50s. Mm hmm. And also we're living in the modern age where, uh, you know, as, as you said, and as I said, you know, you don't necessarily have to physically work at a, in a building to be a journalist. You can work from home and, and uh, you can do everything electronically, which is what I thought they were going to do with Lois. So the fact that uh, she's no longer working at the Daily Planet, I was like, whoa. Uh, but it does it does make sense to be quite honest, and whether they have her as just, I mean, I doubt it. She's just going to be a cub reporter at uh, the Smallville Gazette. I, I believe she's going to grow a partnership uh, with uh, Chrissy Beppo. Um, that's going to be quite interesting to see, and especially um, because um, we have people like uh, Mr. Cushing, who sort of like 
you know, is looking down on Lois because I guess she's a coastal elite. Um, and, uh, uh, the, the fact that uh, she has she has been she being Lois um, has been so critical of Morgan Edge with the town because she smells a story and she smells shady business. It's going to be interesting having her. Not I don't know if she's going to take over, but at least she's going to be in partnership with the Smallville Gazette potentially. Um, she could bring jobs to Smallville, which in in a better way than maybe Morgan Edge will, which will be kind of interesting to watch. The thing that I thought was kind of funny, and funny, not haha, but just funny strange, was the fact that the previous episode, the pilot, was all about financial issues. Like, can we buy the farm? Can we pay the loan? Can we do this? Can we move? You know, Clark had just gotten laid off from the Daily Planet. But at the end of the day, he, you know, if this is Superman and Lois... Um, not single parents in the city. It's Superman and Lois with kids moving to the country. I mean, it would make sense that Clark no longer worked at the Daily Planet. But, like, now Lois is not working at the Daily Planet. And clearly the Smallville Gazette is not going to be paying Daily Planet money <laughs> to Lois. So it's just, it's kind of funny. Like, now, if, if whenever they bring up financial issues, I'm going to giggle in the back of my head. Because this was a choice now for Lois. A moral choice, and the right choice, let's be real. Like, I'm not uh, picking at her choice. But the fact that the pilot was so financial issues, which was kind of strange. Because I was like, isn't Lois Lane like a big-ass fucking deal in the Daily Planet and all that kind of stuff? So I, I picture well, that she, journalists she, don't make that much money. Uh, quite honestly, uh, you know, unless you're, you know, a famous TV journalist, if you're a print journalist, you're not making that much. But I do think it's a way of grounding the show. You know, uh, you know, they're they're trying to, you know, ground uh, Superman. You know, uh, you know, he is the most powerful, most awesome character uh, that exists. So giving him, you know, not quite an Achilles heel, but, you know, a uh, a weakness, a a humanizing element, I think, is is kind of why they're doing that. And so, you know, unlike, you know. You know, over in the Flash, for example, where you know Barry seems to have access to unlimited funds, you know, for reasons that we don't entirely understand. Um, you know, this is going to be a more grounded Superman because he doesn't have unlimited money. Now that said, obviously, you know, he's Superman. If he wanted to knock over a bank, he could knock over a bank. If he wanted to fly down and find a uh, you know uh, an underwater shipwreck with uh, you know millions of dollars in gold, he could do that. I don't think they're going to go that route because I do think they're trying to use the uh, the financial uh, challenges that they're facing to humanize uh, Superman and Lois and uh, and sort of emphasize the fact that, you know, even though this is a you know strange being from another planet, he and Lois are going to be dealing with a lot of the same things that other people are dealing with. And we talked about that last episode in terms of, you know, what's happening to Smallville, you know, the the economic impact on that. And I think this is this might be the uh, the only show that that's dealing with that. Uh, you know, uh, even more so than, than Black Lightning, because Black Lightning has, you know, uh, Jefferson Pierce, who's, you know, a, a you know, a, a, you know, successful and, you know, uh, you know, fairly, uh, you know, well off uh, member of the community and a wife who is, a, you know, a prominent geneticist and doctor. Um, you know, th it's kind of interesting that they're taking this route that, you know, maybe these are going to be slightly more grounded in that respect, in a financial respect. Uh, than uh, than anything else, so I think that that gives the uh, the creators of the show, you know, a, a certain way to deal with, you know, more real world situations that they're dealing with that uh, that maybe the other shows in the CW verse aren't. That's a good point. Yeah, we will have to wait and see, but uh, I, I am enjoying the grounded nature of Superman and Lois, and it makes sense. I mean, it it is to characters that, that do have this fantastical history in the comics that have kids now. And uh, they just want to do the best for their kids. So it, it makes sense that the stories are a little bit more grounded and uh, are a little bit more real, to be quite honest. I mean, as the series progresses, now that we know that there is going to be a second season, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle some of the more fantastical villains in... Uh, the Superman canon, and uh, if they are going to take on a, a sort of a fantastical approach to them, or if they're still going to be somewhat grounded in appearance, that might be kind of interesting to see as well. 
Speaking of fantastical villains, let's talk about uh, Captain Luther. So we see him a couple of times in this episode, and we get a whole lot of intel about uh, Captain Luther in this episode. Still not enough, but definitely way more than we knew in uh, the pilot, which was barely a tease. So we see that he's got uh, a spaceship. We we explore that a little bit more. He's got his own AI that chats with him. And uh, he's got that spectacular armor. He ends up fighting Superman. And um, as as he's fighting him, um, we, we, well, one of the reasons why he's fighting him is because they've been tracking Luther. Uh, Luther has been... In essence, searching for kryptonite on the planet, but uh, he can't seem to find any. And uh, like everywhere that he goes, like there, there just isn't any left. And uh, during one of their fantastic battles, like he ends up uh, putting a bomb on the spaceship, and so he gives a Superman basically a choice: the spaceship or me. So he's able to escape, but his uh, spaceship kabooms later on he ends up visiting uh, uh, sam lane and his base and uh i th- i think at least for me i was like worried is he gonna try to kill sam lane but he was trying to win sam over to his side to his cause by giving him uh, in essence sort of like a, a military dog tag that has the superman logo logo and uh, it had um it was it was numbers on the other side, but it also spelled the word hell, um, and uh, yeah. So there was that, which uh, kind of, uh, and he also said some things like, you know, you need to be worried about him. In essence, I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said. Um, and uh, we end up getting a, a flashback at the end of the episode, which was really important. So he returns back to his AI. We find out that uh, they're going to have to rebuild the ship, or not rebuild, but build another ship, as well as another suit. Because in reality, when um, when it looked like he was there trying to win over Sam Lane, it was just his suit. It was like uh, a robot. It, he wasn't in it. So in a flashback at the tail end, we visit Luther's Earth, and we see that he was in the military, with his Earth's Sam Lane, and they were battling against Burm 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 and evil Superman. All right, Professor, let's talk about this. Let's try to leave Sam Lane out of it because I have a separate question about Sam Lane. So let's talk about Captain Luther. What the hell does all this mean? Uh, Yeah, what's your take on it? And uh, did you find it as fascinating as I did? Well, I think, you know, it it plays out of what we talked about, uh, you know, last week. The idea that, you know, uh, Luthor, this Luthor is a Christ-sequence. You know, someone who traveled from, uh, you know, parallel Earth in which Superman was evil. And, you know, I think they they did a pretty good job of, uh, of teasing that last episode and now whether it's just because we're a bit more you know comic book savvy or you know uh, alternate earth savvy so it didn't strike me as all that surprising the uh, the luther revelations uh in this episode um it, it felt to me like exactly what you would have expected the only thing that surprised me is you know we got it all this quickly uh, you know it felt to me like the sort of thing they might have you know uh done a slow reveal and and gradually you know uh brought the uh the information out about his his background and, and superman on his earth and stuff like that uh obviously they're setting up that you know we have to find out more about this and, and set up the idea that you know uh you know uh what his earth was like uh you know to, to find out more about that but uh for me it, it felt like you know just sort of you know filling in details of everything that you know was hinted at last episode but that you know anyone who has any passing familiarity with you know comic books or alternate earths you know, kind of already knew this was what was going to be the case yeah, definitely. Uh, I agree with you on that. It wasn't that surprising, but it was still really interesting. Um, and I think it probably was more interesting because we got it in the second episode. Like, they didn't drag this out, which is a good thing. Uh, Superman and Lois do not drag out storylines if they don't need to be dragged out. Um, we, we still don't have a lot of details, but uh, it was incredibly fascinating. And I think it gives a whole 
lot of uh, nuance to the character of Captain Luther, as well as um, it, it doesn't make him a straight-up villain. Like, I wouldn't even call him a villain now, after this episode. I would call him an, an antagonist, because I think they've, in essence, potentially have given the character a way to become, in essence, an ally to Superman at some point, uh, you know, many episodes down the line. Because if if Superman is able to understand what Captain Luther has been through, I could see him trying to uh, basically win him over, per se, to stop him from whatever it is he's trying to do, which could, in essence, endanger the planet. Um, the one thing that I did want to bring up that uh, I noticed uh, in this episode, um, especially because it was easy to notice, and I found it to be a bit of a problem. Um, it's just the second episode, though, so they do have time to fix it. But the one thing that kind of bugged me was the fact that we have uh, just two prominent black men in the series, and they're both antagonists. And uh, in the year 2021, especially after the racial reckoning that we saw here in the United States uh, the summer of 2020, where even Hollywood uh, sort of took notice and uh, promised to do better as far as representation. It was, it's just in a series where there are just two black men that have speaking roles, and they're both antagonists. That kind of bugged me. Um, they're kind of writing it so that maybe Lex Luthor could be an ally at some point. Not Lex Luthor, sorry. Captain Luthor might be an ally at some point. Um, so as of right now, he is still an antagonist. So hopefully we get some more BIPOC representation on the series so that they're not all antagonists. Um, just, you know, if you cast black characters, I mean, clearly some of them are going to be villainous. Some of them are going to not be villainous. And when you have just two black men and they're both antagonists, it's just incredibly noticeable. I don't know if you noticed it, Professor. It kind of bugged me. I'm hopeful that as the series progresses, because it's just the second episode, um, hopefully there's just better representation. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a bit problematic in that, you know, you're dealing with, you know, established Superman canon of, you know, what the characters look like and everything like that. Um, now, you don't always have to follow that. And I think, you know, the the casting of Captain Luthor, you know, as a black actor was was a smart way to to deal with that, because it, it's always been, you know, uh, a bit problematic when when dealing with Superman, because, you know, you know, if you're looking at, you know, what Jimmy Olsen would look like or. Or, you know, uh, things like that. It's, you know, the, the characters have, have always been a certain way, which reflects, you know, America of, you know, 80 years ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I agree that, you know, only having two characters like that. But if you look at it, we haven't had that many established characters, that many speaking characters, you know, that many characters uh, to really deal with uh, so far. So, you know, it's, it's a bit early, I think, to to ding it too strongly on that. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, Sarah does have, you know, a boyfriend who is a person of color is, you know, very progressive for, you know, Superman traditionally. Uh, yes, he is an asshole, but, you know, he's, you know, he's a, a meathead jock. So, you know, well, what are you expecting of him? Um, uh, I think you, we're going to find out that uh, Captain Luthor is a, a more nuanced character. He's not a, a pure uh, big bad. He's not, uh, you know, a, a pure baddie. Um, uh, whether he actually becomes an ally or anything like that, I think we will find that he is a more nuanced, interesting character. Um, but yeah, it, it is problematic because, you know, once you establish, you know, Superman looking a certain way and Lois looking a certain way, well, you can't make her father a person of color. You can't make, well, you could have made Lana a person of color. Um, but, um, it is problematic simply because, you know, they're going to Smallville, which is this, you know, small Kansas town where presumably you don't have a lot of people of color. So I think that is a problem they're going to have to deal with. Um, you know, I think, you know, maybe, you know, having, you know, Morgan Edge as a person of color or Morgan Edge's assistant might have been a way to deal with that uh, as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it is still very early days. And uh, I think that, you know, the, the uh, you know, the casting 
uh, of uh, of Captain Luthor, uh, you know, as as a very authoritative uh, figure, you know, uh, allows him to have some representation in there, and, and a character who will be, I think, everything we saw in this episode suggests that he's not going to be your your classical, you know, mustache twirling twirling bad guy. He's going to be a much more interesting, nuanced character because he's someone who has lost his entire world. And, uh, you know, is uh, is uh, is working off of that. So I think he's going to be, uh, you know, a more interesting, uh, you know, uh, broader character than we might expect from, you know, a, a big bad for a CW show. I think so as well. Um, I do have hope. Uh, it's just, it, you know, it's be- maybe it's because we've only had two black men with speaking roles that it's incredibly obvious hopefully as the series progresses they they notice that and it's an issue that's rectified i am really loving captain luther Wole parks is fantastic and i'm looking forward to seeing more of him where we actually see his face so he can you know look into his eyes and, and get a greater understanding as to who this man was uh, on his world as well as on this world, uh, the voice acting has been really good, and and you can you can hear kind of uh, you know the complexities of this character just through the voice acting. Um, okay. Oh well, well wait, wait one more little point that I want to make about Captain Luther before um, before we move over to Sam Lane. One of the reasons why I want him to become an ally is because I want him to actually meet Lex Luthor. <laughs> Like, I, w- I want there to be a Luther-on-Luther Luther fight. Like, one world Luther versus Lex Luther. I think that just might be fantastic. I don't know if they are going to end up bringing John Cryer over from Supergirl. Um, clearly, they would probably have to tone down some of the John Cryer camp as Lex Luthor and just give us the the John Cryer menace. But the like having Captain Luther versus Lex Luthor might be kind of interesting. I'm just saying. So, okay, Sam Lane. We got a little bit more Sam Lane in this episode. And uh, we had a little bit of an altercation, not an altercation, but like, let's call it a heated discussion between Clark and Papa Lane. And basically it was Papa Lane saying, you know, uh, why did you tell the kids that you're Superman? You know, that was like the dumbest thing you could do. And, you know, you don't think it's going to take a toll on them. I know how it takes a toll on Lois. And he kind of huffs and puffs and leaves. When Clark ends up telling Lois this, she's like, okay, well, then we definitely made the right decision if he doesn't agree with it. Which was shade and it was spectacular. And was her talking about her dad, which was awesome. But later on, when... uh, when Sam Lane ends up having his interaction with Robo Luther, and he ends up providing him with uh, the super dog tag thing, um, there was an interesting, there was interesting reaction from Sam Lane. And later on, when Clark, well, I should say Superman, he was Superman at the time, he ends up sort of ripping the head off, and uh, we see that it was uh, a robot. There was an interesting look from Sam as well. So far, it's just the second episode, but I've enjoyed Sam Lane's interaction with his family, because it has been almost the antithesis of what we usually get with Papa Lane. Like, usually Papa Lane is incredibly um, anti-Superman, one would say, or or he's um, not necessarily the most pro-Superman type of person. And so we have him working in, in conjunction with Superman. We have him, for the most part, I mean, he's kind of like the um, sort of the judgmental father-in-law, but for the most part, you know, he seems like he cares about his family. We had the, the line in the previous episode about taking the kids fishing and that sort of thing. So he has an active role in the family. Do we think this is the start of uh, Sam Lane questioning Superman? Or uh, do you, am, did I totally, am I like jumping the gun too much with Sam Lane's sort of reactions, because it was just small reactions, but, you know, an actor makes choices, and usually the choices are for, the, for a particular reason. What did, you th- what did you think of Sam Lane, Professor, and where do you think this could go? And do you think that this, whatever this small interaction was, do you think it's going to lead him down a rabbit hole of starting to question 
Superman? I think it's too early to say. I think, you know, if you're if you're coming to this, you know, from, you know, the uh, the understanding of the history of the character, then you have the sense that he was probably, you know, anti-Superman in the beginning. Then when he found out he was Clark Kent married to his daughter and, you know, the father of his grandchildren, he probably became, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, more open uh, to Clark and Superman. I think the really interesting thing. Uh, in the episode, you know, the uh, the whole Sam Lane thing, you know, uh, aside from, you know, him looking at the dog tag was him telling Superman that, you know, he basically, you know, bought up all the kryptonite and hidden it away. You know, there was, a, as he said, there's a reason why, you know, you can't find it anywhere. It's because he has it. And I think that's going to be, you know, something going forward, you know, people, you know, seeking out that uh, that source of kryptonite. Um but again, his point, his reason for doing that, you know, uh, is it because he's, you know, saving it as a uh, a store, you know, again, Superman, if he ever goes bad, or is it it's he's doing this to protect his son-in-law and therefore his family? So I think, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff coming out of Sam Lane that, you know, we wouldn't have gotten from previous versions of the character. But uh, I think they're, they're playing it, you know, quite subtly. Uh, early on, I think they're they're sort of playing up. You know, he, he does still, you know, have those lingering, you know, questions and resentments. On the other hand, he he's gotten to know Clark and uh, and and know him not only as Superman but also as his son-in-law. And I think that's that's going to be an uninteresting angle for them to take with the character. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm enjoying Dylan Walsh in this role. Like he's bringing sort of the complexities of sam lane to the forefront which is really interesting and it and we don't get a lot of him in these episodes at least so far but um i always find myself really looking forward to his interactions with uh, clark or with clark as superman um i think they're really interesting um okay so one little thing that i did want to ask you before we head into uh, the mvp is so kryptonite on superman and lois over on Supergirl, it, Kryptonite, it, I felt like Kryptonite was everywhere. It seems like that's not the case on Superman and Lois. Do we like that? I do. You know, the the whole thing about, you know, introducing Kryptonite as, you know, Superman's weakness, I realize you have to have a weakness for him. The problem is, you know, how do you deal with it? Is it immediately toxic to him? Does it strip him of his powers? Yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, as we've seen on Supergirl, they tend to treat Kryptonite just as whatever they need for that particular episode. Um, but I've always liked the idea that it's, it's an extremely rare uh, thing because I don't like the fact that, you know, any random thug that Superman encounters, you know, oh, I've got this piece of kryptonite and that, you know, depowers you, which was, you know, basically so many of the Superman comics from the 50s and 60s. So I do like the idea that it, it's it's rare and, uh, you know, it's 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 therefore quite valuable. And, you know, they do have to be careful about how they deal with it, because, you know, anything they establish as canon regarding Superman, super, regarding kryptonite in the Superman Lois verse, obviously is going to have an impact on uh, the Supergirl verse as well, because they're part of the same world. So, you know, I don't think they have quite the same freedom to deal with it. Uh, they would have had otherwise. But so far, I, I like the fact that it's it's not incredibly rare uh, or sorry, that it's not incredibly common, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, it, it is going to be sort of a MacGuffin for Captain Luthor to try to track this stuff down. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. All right, Professor, was there anything that I missed, a teeny tiny little moment that, that you would like to discuss before we head into the MVP? All right, let's do it. Let's jump into the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Since it's just the two of us, I'll just be alternating on a week-to-week basis so that at least I get a chance to go first uh, at times. Uh, so I'm going first, and my choice is uh, Lois Lane. Uh, Bitsy Tulloch was just fantastic throughout the entire episode. I'm glad that they actually gave her stuff to do. And it was actually really interesting stuff, because we saw her be a journalist. And it, she was a confrontational journalist, and she was doing like the small stuff, uh, clearly uh, planting seeds for us to follow. So with whatever this Morgan Edge storyline is, but it was absolutely fantastic and exciting and interesting and uh, awesome. So I I was here for it. And if um, Morgan Edge is in essence going to be her big bad to take down this season, I'm really enjoying what we're seeing so far. And uh, Bitsy was just fantastic. So uh, she is my MVP. Professor, what about you? Who's your MVP and why? 
Uh, you know, I'm going to, for reasons I said earlier, I'm going to choose Jonathan. I, I like the fact they're portraying him not as a sullen teen, uh, not as the uh, the smug uh, entitled jock, but as someone who's, you know, uh, you know, a, a really good brother who's there for his brother. We saw that last episode. And we saw it more in this episode as well. You know, especially the scene where, you know, he said to him, you know, who cares what the hologram says? We're going to figure this out on our own, which is obviously setting up something that's going to go forward. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's he's not, you know, a, a a, a bad team. He's, you know, a, a good brother. And, you know, he seems to be honestly coming across as, as a good person. And I like that. Very good choice. All right. Let's uh, rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of one to 10 red capes? The point system is allowed. And if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the fortress of solitude with that very sullen Jor-El professor. How would you rate this episode? Uh, you know, a solid episode, you know, really, you know, coming out of, you know, a, a very good, uh, you know, expensively produced pilot, you know, establishing the characters and where we're going to be going uh, to going forward. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 nothing really wrong with it, you know, but not all that spectacular either. So I'm going to give it, uh, I think, eight out of ten. All right. A solid eight from the professor. I'm going to bump it up just a tiny bit to an 8.5, uh, just for the Lois Lane story, because it was hella good. Uh, yeah, it, I was just, I really enjoyed uh, that aspect of the episode. The other stuff was kind of uh, stuff that was expected. I mean, by the end of it, we have uh, Jordan, uh, he's going to be going back to school and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think... We, we went in, in a direction that we thought we were going with some of the other stuff. Um, the Morgan Edge stuff is really, really interesting. And, and the reveal at the end with Captain Luther was uh, pretty nice as well. So uh, on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Smallville Gazette. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Smallville Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of The Smallville Gazette every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Papichula Radio Archives. Good night. Mm-hmm.